Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. We're going to begin today in the book of Genesis and end in the book of Revelation. And by the end of my message, my two goals are to convince you that God's favorite preposition is the word with and that the thing God wants most this Christmas season is to be with his children. Now, I know those are big goals, and I know that going from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end sounds like it's going to take a long time, but I promise that I will be done by Tuesday for the Christmas Eve services at 2, 4, and 6. It's my very subtle uh, reminder there. That's good. All right. Now, over the last few weeks, Pastor Chris uh, has been leading us in a Christmas series called God With Us, which is based on one of the names given to Jesus, which we read about in the first chapter of the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 1, we read, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That idea, God with us, is certainly a major theme of Christmas. But I actually think that it is a major theme of the entire Bible. I believe that God has always wanted to be with us. After all, God is the one who created us. In the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, we read that God has this incredible connection with Adam and Eve. He is with them. Now, the word with is a preposition. I think it's God's favorite preposition. But on the off chance that it's been a while since you took a grammar class, I I just want to remind you what a preposition is. Prepositions aren't the part of speech that are doing the action. Those are the verbs. And prepositions aren't the parts of speech naming the people, places, and things. Those are the nouns. Instead, prepositions are the part of speech indicating relationship or position. We're going to look at a few different prepositions today, but in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are with God. That word with is a preposition that indicates a very close relationship between two or more parties. In a world without sin, Adam and Eve had a very close and personal and intimate relationship with God. They got to experience a kind of fellowship with their creator that was unlike anything else. In the ancient world, this sort of closeness, this sort of positive connection between a God and his or her people was unheard of. Other countries and cultures, they also had gods. They had stories about their gods leaving the realm of heaven and coming down to earth to be with people. But when you read those stories, they're quite unlike the kind of personal connection that the God of the Bible has with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. For instance, if you just look at like Greek mythology, anytime the gods and goddesses leave Mount Olympus and come down to earth, those stories almost never end well for the people they interact with. Whether we're talking about Zeus and Hera or Hades and Athena, there's humiliation and shame associated, abuse with these deities, so-called, interacting with the people on earth. I suppose you could say that those gods are with their people, but these were not positive interactions. They were painful interactions. In contrast, we get a sense that in the pages of Scripture, in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis, that when God is with Adam and Eve, 
It's a good thing. In Genesis 3, we get a sense that God would like take walks with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Friends take walks together. Friends share life together. Friends are with each other. And this was God's plan for humanity, that he would be with us. But of course, later in Genesis chapter three, we see that Adam and Eve fall into sin. And because God is holy, they were forced to leave the Garden of Eden. They weren't allowed to stay there anymore. They could no longer be in a relationship with God the way they had once been in a relationship with him. And so something was lost. This idea of being with God It went away. And as you read the story, it's a tragedy. And obviously, it's a problem. I mean, it's clearly a problem for us. Adam and Eve are suffering, and it's painful for them, but they're the ones who did something wrong. It it makes sense that they would have a problem. But as you read the rest of the Old Testament, it's clear that actually God also thought it was a big problem. And he wanted to do something about it. He wasn't happy that this withness that he had with his people was gone. And so as you read through the stories in the Old Testament, it's almost like God has to settle for a lesser preposition. It's not with, it's it's something else. And God wants to deal with the problem of sin so that he can get back to his original plan of being with us. Let's look at some of these other prepositions that God had to sort of settle for. For instance, in the book of Exodus, God wants to rescue his people, the Israelites, from oppression in Egypt. At the end of the book of Genesis, the nation of Israel was saved because they were able to go to Egypt, and Joseph was there, one of the sons of Jacob, of of Israel, and he was able to use his influence to provide them with food. And so the people were spared. But by the time the book of Exodus, the next book in the Bible starts, It's a new situation. The new Pharaoh does not like the Israelites and he's oppressing them. And God is aware of this and he's concerned and so he comes to Moses and he says, uh, we're gonna see that he's gonna want to have Moses lead the children of Israel back to the promised land and get them out of Egypt. In Exodus three, Moses is actually far away from Egypt and he's taking care of some sheep And God comes to him in the form of a bush that appears to be on fire but isn't burning up. Moses moves closer to kind of investigate when he hears God speak to him and say, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then God said, do not come near. That's a preposition. He says, do not come near. Take off your sandals for you are the place where you are standing is holy ground. Because God is holy, Moses can't just approach him casually. He has to prepare himself. Only after he has taken off his sandals is he able to come near and to be in the presence of God. And as God interacts with Moses, he tells him that he's aware of what's going on in Egypt. He says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. Now, you're probably not living in slavery, but when you're hurting, you can be sure that God is near you and he cares about what you're going through. He cares about that breakup 
that has broken your heart. He cares about the pressure you're feeling at work. He cares about the death in your family. He cares about your financial needs. He cares about your child who is far from the Lord. He cares about that child who is struggling at school. He cares about that relationship that's meaningful and important to you that has been estranged. When you cry out to God in prayer, he is near and he hears your prayer. This is what Moses was getting at when he addressed the nation of Israel at the end of his life. As they were getting ready to go into the promised land, he gathers all the people together, and it's kind of a state of the union speech. He's basically the only leader all these people have ever had. They trust him, and they're listening, and he says to them, when you think about the faithfulness of God, I want you to remember this truth. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them in the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him. When we pray, we might think about God being up in heaven, but he's not far, far away, occasionally coming down into our experience. No, when you pray, he is near you. You can experience that sense of closeness. I, I know that I have in my own life one particular time of feeling like God had come near I remember it was when my youngest son, JP, was born. I've shared a little bit of this with you before, but two days after he was born, he was having some major health problems. He was having major issues with his breathing. And we knew that something was wrong, but we didn't know the extent of it. But our doctor in Greenfield came to us and said, this is a very serious situation, and we need to transfer JP to another hospital where he can receive the kind of care, specialized care, for a baby that, that we can't give him here. And so we have called for a, an ambulance to come from St. Vincent's in Carmel and they're gonna come pick him up and, and take him there. And when those four people from St. Vincent's came and they picked up my little boy and they strapped him down on the gurney and there were all these wires and tubes and things connected to his face and to his body, I, I felt fear. I felt a sense of anxiety. And then they wheeled him out to take him to the ambulance. And I just felt so sad. I didn't know what was gonna happen. And what made it even more difficult was that Becky had not been released from the hospital. I mean, she had just given birth, and so I was gonna have to get in our car and drive there by myself and follow the ambulance up to Carmel. And as I was walking to the elevator to like head over to my car. I just, I was struck by this thought. This is the first time that I've kind of been by myself as we've been kind of going through this process and I'd been trying to be strong for Becky and for my family and I thought, as I was just alone in the elevator, I thought, I'm gonna cry the whole way there. I, this is awful. And I just, again, this sense of sadness. Then I got off the elevator and as I was walking across the lobby, again, just to get to my car, God made himself known to me. He came near. I was not trying to think of a scripture reference that might encourage me. I, I wasn't even exactly in that moment, like really just praying in a specific way. But God brought Isaiah 41.10 to my mind, and he said, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And suddenly, everything was different, because I knew God was near. 
Now, none of my circumstances were different. They were all exactly the same. But as I was driving in the car, I didn't weep the whole way there because I had this sense of hope because God was near. And I just knew he was near my son and he was gonna take care of him. And I want you to know that God cares about you. Many of you might be going through a circumstance right now where you're hurting and you need to know that when you pray, God is not up in heaven far, far away. And maybe if he's not too busy with like the really big problems in our world, he might deal with your situation. No, he cares about you and he will come near. When you pray, he is near and his presence can change everything. So that word near is one of the propositions that we see in the Old Testament. God is near. He comes near when we are hurting. But another preposition that we see in the Old Testament is that God is above us. We see this as the Israelites were journeying from Egypt to the Promised Land. God revealed his presence to them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. The idea was that none of them had been, well, basically none of them had ever been to the promised land. And there were gonna be enemies. There were gonna be people there that opposed them. And so, like, where do we go? How do we get there? What are we gonna do? Just follow the cloud. Follow the fire. When it goes, you go. When it stops, you stop. (laughs) Numbers 17 puts it this way. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. As they went to bed at night, they could see that pillar of fire. It's kind of the ultimate nightlight. They could see that pillar of fire illuminating. And it was gonna show them the way that they needed to go. Some of you might be facing decisions where you would like God to show you what to do. You have an opportunity, you have a decision to make. Like, what do you want me to do, God? Will you just make it clear? Should I go forward or should I stay put? Where should I go to college? I have a new opportunity in my work life. Should I stay here or go someplace different? I'm a first time parent. I want my children to grow up loving the Lord, but how do I do that? How can I make that happen? God, there's this relationship in my life It's really important to me, maybe it's at work or maybe it's in my family, but something needs to change, but I don't know how to have that critical conversation. I don't know when that's gonna take place. We feel this sense of uncertainty and we need to remember that God is above us and he's ready to show us when and where to go. He wants to illuminate our path as we seek him in prayer. In my own life, I have found that there have been moments where I felt this sense of restlessness I was struggling with what's going on in my life, but I didn't know if I needed to work on my contentment and stay put, or that was a sign from the Lord that I needed to move forward and leave. But as I prayed, I have experienced that God can reveal himself and give me a sense of peace and direction. Now, I wanna be clear about this. When we talk about God above us, whether it's for me personally or talking about the story of Israel, if we just look at the story of Israel, just because God illuminated their path and showed them where to go, that didn't mean that everything was easy for the people of Israel. 
I mean, they could physically see the presence of God, right? There was no, like, two ways about it. Like, there it is. He said, go there. Okay, we'll go there. But sometimes when you read the story, God deliberately leads them into places that are really difficult and challenging. He brings them into conflict with other groups. Their enemies attack them, even though they're doing what God has asked them to do. It's because God is trying to grow their faith. He's trying to develop their character. In my own life, there have been moments where I was certain I was doing what God asked me to do. And yet, things in my life kept getting more difficult. They were harder and harder. So just because we're doing what God asks doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. But fortunately, in those situations, God reveals himself to us with another preposition. You see, God isn't just above us. He goes before us. This is important because God's not just pointing us in the right direction. He says, I'll go before you. I'll fight your battles with you. When facing powerful enemies on their journey to the promised land, Moses told the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 1, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you. And then he reminds them of the past. He says, as he did in Egypt and in the wilderness. Our God goes before us. When I was a junior in college, I felt like God was asking me to make a very specific decision. I was at Taylor, and I felt like God was asking me to spend a semester abroad. And I did not want to do that. And it became clear to me that if I did that, it might be leading me on a sort of life path that, that might be a challenge. And, and ultimately, it did lead me into ministry. And the girl that I was dating, really the only girl I had ever dated, the girl I thought I was going to marry, she told me, I love you, and I want to be in a relationship with you, but if you go down this path, I know that that's not what God has for me, and, and we just can't be together. It was overwhelming. I obeyed God. And all of my worst fears were realized. It was a miserable period in my life. I told first service, it was as bad as middle school. <laughs> it was tough. I was doing what God had asked me to do, but it wasn't easy. And the only thing that sustained me was I really did have a sense that God was going before me. And I was following in his footsteps. And so even though I was in this storm, I believed that God was gonna get me through it. And he did, and it shaped me, and it shaped my sense of faith, and it has been something that has continued to bless my life even today, over 20 years later. I went through that storm knowing that I was following in God's footsteps. He had gone before me. A lot of you are going through storms right now. Maybe you're feeling afraid. Maybe there's even a part of you that's feeling a little bit of resentment, like, God, I'm obeying, I'm doing what you asked, and it's still really hard. I get that. And I want to encourage you that as you go through this season, maybe you should engage in a kind of practice that Moses encouraged the Israelites to take part in when he challenged them in Deuteronomy 1. 
You see, Moses said, you need to remember what God did for you in Egypt and what he's done for us in the wilderness as we go into the promised land. Because when we remember how God has been faithful in the past, it gives us confidence to believe that he's gonna be faithful in the future. Maybe later today, maybe on Christmas Day, you need to take some time. Take out your phone and just type up a note for yourself or get out a piece of paper and write it down. Take 15 to 30 minutes and just try to create a list of all the times that you can think of in your life where God has shown himself to be faithful and the things that he has done for you, the way he has gone before you. Because when we engage in exercises like that, reminiscing about the ways that God has proven himself to be faithful, it gives us confidence and it changes our perspective about the path that God is asking us to walk down right now. Now this idea of God changing our perspective in the midst of our fear, in the midst of our difficult circumstances, actually leads us into the next preposition that God used to relate to his people. We see it in 2 Kings chapter six. It's gonna be this word, around. In this particular story, Israel has been invaded by the nation of Aram. And the king of Aram, he knows about Elisha the prophet. And he is concerned, justifiably so, he's concerned that Elisha is going to reveal his army's troop movements and locations and strategies to the army of Israel. And so he says, find that guy, and they find that he's in Dothan, and he says, surround the city. He sends chariots and horses and soldiers, and they surround Dothan, and they're going to capture Elisha. In verse 15, we read, when Elisha's servant got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked Elisha. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And just before I read the next verse, I, I wanna say, if you were Elisha's servant, you had to be thinking, what? Are you? Uh, no. I can see him. I see the soldiers. I see the chariots. I see the, I see the army that is all around us. What do you mean those who are with us are more than those who are with them? But in verse 17 it says, And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now you talk about a change in perspective. God is around us, providing us with protection. Elisha's servant thought that they were surrounded by a powerful enemy army, and that's true, they were. But when his eyes were opened, he was able to see another reality he could see that they were also surrounded by an even more powerful heavenly army. I just want you to think about the truth of that. Our God is around us. Our God is around you. When you move through situations where you feel trouble is surrounding you on every side, that can be true. But what is also true is that God is also all around you. We see that truth in the Bible. We see that truth in 2 Kings 6, but the same thing that happened to Elisha also happened to a missionary by the name of John Patton. John Patton was from Scotland, and he felt like God had called him to go to the New Hebrides. It's a chain of islands not far from Australia, and at that time it was full of uh, tribes of cannibals. 
He felt like God was telling him to go there. And so he and his wife left, and they were doing ministry there, and they you know, were telling people that eating other people is wrong, and it got them sort of sideways with the chief of this tribe of cannibals, and he began to threaten John Patton. One day, a group of warriors surrounded John Patton's home, and they began to shout at him, and they had all these threats. They were gonna burn down his house, that they were gonna kill he and his wife, and so John Patton decided that if they were about to die, they were gonna die on their knees in prayer. And so they began to pray, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they kept hearing the chanting and the yelling and the screaming. But they prayed through the night into the morning, and at some point in time, all of the tribal warriors left, and they never attacked. And John Patton and his wife, they did not know why. They didn't understand what had happened. In one of his books, Billy Graham writes about the moment when the Pattons finally understood what had happened. He writes, a year later, the chief, the chief of the tribe was converted to Jesus, and Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, well, I have a question as well. Who were all those men you had with you there? Patton answered, there were no men there. It was just my wife and me. The chief argued, we saw many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They circled your home, and we were afraid to attack. Only then did John Patton realize that God had sent his angels to protect them. He and the chief agreed that there was no other explanation other than that God had sent his angels to surround the house to protect his servants. God is still doing these sorts of things today. God is around us. And when we are afraid, our God is providing us with protection. Now again, when we say that God is providing us with protection, we only have to look at the life of Jesus to recognize that sometimes even if God is right there around us, Jesus is the son of God, but his life was full of persecution and difficulty and challenge. He was murdered on a cross. It's not always gonna be easy. And yet, our God loves us and he wants to take care of us. As the story of Israel unfolds in the Old Testament, God is always taking care of Israel, even when they make some terrible choices and terrible mistakes. We see all of these prepositions in play. God is near Israel because he cares about them when they are hurting. God is above Israel because he is providing them with direction. God is before Israel because he is leading them down a specific path. And God is around Israel because he is protecting them from their enemies. Our God is clearly invested in his people, and yet over and over we are struck with the sense that our God wants more than all of those prepositions. He wants a deeper, closer relationship with them. Our God wants to go back to the days of with and being with his people as he always intended, which is why in God's providence, he sent his son. And Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to deal with the problem of our sin and once again, God is with his people. He is Emmanuel. And God doesn't just want to be with Israel. He wants to be with all of us. Our God is not satisfied with near and above and before and around. He wants to be with us. This is part of the reason when right after Jesus was born, 
He wasn't immediately offered as a sacrifice. I mean, Herod wanted to kill him right then, and he was perfectly innocent. He had done nothing wrong. But Jesus didn't die then, offering his blood as an atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. He grew up as a man because he wanted to be with us. He didn't just recruit disciples because he thought that's a good like marketing strategy, there's strength in numbers, I'll be able to multiply my influence. No, he loved these guys, he wanted to be with them. Micaiah earlier read from John 15, that verse where Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. But it's an interesting thing. Jesus calls the disciples his friends. Two verses later, He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. These friends of Jesus, these disciples, they would go on to change the world and they didn't change the world because they had great theology or the best understanding of salvation or Jesus had given them some great marketing plan. What happened was they were changed because they had spent time with Jesus. He had invested in them. He had given them his time, his energy, his love. He had been with them. We are Jesus' modern day disciples. We are his friends. He wants to be with us. And some might say, but Jesus cannot be with us the way he was with Peter, James, and John because he is not physically present with us like he was with them. But Jesus seems to have anticipated this potential concern because in Matthew 18, 20, he he told the disciples, he was telling them, I'm not gonna be here forever. He, He says, where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. We see signs all around us that our God is with us. We see these signs in answered prayers and changed lives. But in the midst of the busyness of our lives, especially around the holidays, it can be easy for us to forget that Jesus is here and that he is with us. I mentioned earlier that we have to take some time to remember. We have to hold on to these stories of God's faithfulness to remember that he loves us and that he is with us. In my own life, the clearest picture that God is with us is found in a very personal part of my life. When Becky and I got married, we've talked about this on many occasions, but we wanted to have children. And at first, you know, it wasn't a big deal that we couldn't have children. I I enjoyed it just being the two of us. But over time, we realized something seems wrong. We, We can't seem to get pregnant. What's going on? So we went to the doctors, and I always remember our infertility specialist talking to us and saying, Andy, uh, doctors have been able to identify 98% of the reasons why people cannot get pregnant. And we even have, like, solutions for those 98% of the problems. But there are 2% that we call the unknowns, and we don't know why people can't get pregnant, and you and Becky are in the 2% of unknown. And I just... I was so sad about that. And so, oh man, just praying. Like, Lord, will you please answer our prayer? But we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and it just wasn't happening. And then a time came where, oh, like, we got this call that I just knew. This must be from the Lord. We got a call from a family, kind of out of the blue. And they said, we know of a child that's about to be born. There's gonna be a baby and a family and uh, the family is looking to put this baby up for adoption, and we thought of you, and would you and Becky be willing to adopt this baby? 
And I thought, yes, okay, we're gonna do this. This is why we've been not able to have a child. God knew we, the timing. Maybe we wouldn't have been ready. And so we said yes. And we were excited for a little bit. And then it fell through. I was devastated. And I didn't understand. And then we had saved up our money and we paid for in vitro fertilization. And that didn't work. And we were devastated by that as well. But we kept praying. And we kept praying. And then in early 2009 we found out that we were pregnant, that we were gonna have a baby. And I was so excited. And I asked so many people in our church family to pray for Becky and to pray for the baby, and you guys did, and you were excited for us, and that was such an incredible blessing. And 10 years ago yesterday, my son Hudson was born. I think we have a picture of him. That guy reminds me that God is faithful and that he is with us. Every night when I put him to bed, when we're struggling with different things, I think God is faithful. He will answer. And he didn't just answer with one baby. We have five children. <laughs> and that's incredible. We were dealing with this infertility for five years, and now we have five kids. I mean, God is, that's funny in that way. <laughs> But when I think about God's faithfulness in the past, it gives me greater confidence that he will be faithful in the present and in the future. God will be with us. This Christmas, the God of the Bible wants to be with you. In fact, that's what Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus is called Emmanuel. The Son of God left the comforts of heaven and was born in a stable in Bethlehem because he wants to be with us, because he wants to be with you. He loves you. That's what the entire Bible is all about. I know I told you about how things started in the beginning of the Bible in the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, but just think about how they end in the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. In Revelation 21, Jesus' disciple John is writing about the end of time. And what's interesting to me is he isn't writing about all the people who are Christians dying and going up to heaven someday. No, what, what happens is that it's like God wants to be with us so much. He's like, no, I'm bringing heaven down because I want to be with you. John writes, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and we know who that is sitting on the throne. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Our God wants to be with us. And lest you think that God's desire to be with us is only for those people who are really holy and really righteous and have it all together. I want you to know that in Revelation chapter three, Jesus says that he wants to be with you. In Revelation 3.20, we read these words from Jesus. He says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will go in and eat with him and he with me. 
Jesus is standing at the doorway of your heart and this idea of him coming in to eat with us is this idea of fellowship, of friendship, of connection. He wants to be with us. He wants to be with you. You might feel like, well, he wouldn't really wanna be with me because I've done some stuff. I'm even like doing some stuff right now. My life is not like set up for him. But I just want you to know that Jesus wants to be with you, not because, you know, at the core of your identity, you're a good little boy or a good little girl who does all the right things. He wants to be with you because he made you, because he has a plan for you, because he loves you. He is there at the doorway of your heart. And this Christmas season, I wanna ask you, will you open that door and let Jesus into your life? Because that is what he wants. With is God's favorite preposition. That is why he came as Emmanuel, because he is God with us. And he wants to be with you. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.